0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Christian Reef podcast. Today's guest is an entrepreneur, an author, and an anthropologist all the way from the USA. Her name is Veronica Kirin. Welcome to the show, Veronica. How are you doing?
1: Hello, I am well. As I was telling you, it's gloomy outside, but we're having fun, aren't we?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's the same here in England. It's kind of, I mean, well, it's autumn, isn't it? But some kind of... I'm waiting till the trees change colors and then I can kind of enjoy that but yeah I mean it's this this is how it's going to be for the next six months maybe more <laughs>
1: seven months just put me into cryogenic freezing for the next seven months and bring me out when it's summer although we didn't get very much of a summer here in Berlin I don't know if you did but I mean it, it barely hit 30.
0: um it was extremely hot here I'm not gonna lie um because I okay this is not really relevant but like I remember many many years we're talking like 10-15 years ago I remember the pattern in the UK would always be and the joke would be you get like you know your two weeks of summer and that's it it just rains the whole time
1: yeah but now
0: it's I don't know I think it's it must be global warming I mean it's now it's like it's like unbearable. Like I always call it the the greenhouse effect. Like you're, you know, inside yeah. a greenhouse and it's insulated. Yeah. Like it's well, it's I'm just, literally. <laughs> like I mean, I used to live in London when I when I was growing up, and I remember summer there was unbearable because of the pollution and everything. You just literally mm-hmm. just couldn't escape. You couldn't breathe. Um, yeah. Here in Manchester, which is obviously in the, in the middle of England, it's a bit more. You can breathe a bit more, but it's still just as boiling. I mean, there were days, for instance, when I had to do podcasts and I'm sitting here. And, and, and the way that my setup is, is that, you know, this microphone, it's not the best microphone ever, but it is a very good microphone for what, for what we do. And so it picks up everything. So if I have the window mm-hmm. open, just even just a little bit, because I'm next to a main road, you hear everything. So it's like, okay, that's got to remain shut, even though it's 30 plus outside.
1: Yeah. (laughs)
0: It's the worst. Yeah. Yeah, It is what it is. Um, Actually, I was going to start with your business, but since we briefly mentioned about Berlin, so you're not originally from Germany, are you? You're from the United States.
1: Yeah, I immigrated to Berlin in January, actually. So Oh,
0: wow. Okay. I'm a
1: brand new European citizen.
0: Oh, damn. Okay, so what prompted that move? Um, and like, how does life compare generally? Because obviously, life in America and life in Europe is so opposite in many different ways. But yeah, what yeah. was the reason in there?
1: Yeah, um, so I've actually wanted to be a European citizen since I was 15. Um, so it's been a long time coming. The pandemic just made it easier. Honestly, it cut ties, it slowed things down. And so we left, we weren't seeing anybody anyway, you know, so it just, it did make things a little easier. It was a little bit, um, bittersweet because there was no going away party or, you know, anything like that, no send off. Um you know, my partner got a job here. And soon after I gained my Croatian citizenship through, um, genealogy, my family is Croatian. Oh. So, um, we're here to stay for a long time and, you know, they, there's always that feeling of like, okay, maybe this is just like a grass is greener situation. Like I'm looking across the pond thinking like work-life balance seems better and healthcare seems better and yeah. like cultural seems better. And you think that, Okay. um, Nowhere's perfect. I'm going to get there. I'll find the flaws. It's just, it's just been great so far. And maybe I'm still in the honeymoon phase, but it's just been really wonderful. And I encourage anyone to do it. It's possible for everyone. Uh, It was a long road. It took a lot of work. It took a lot of planning because I've been planning this for decades. Um, But it's possible if you want to live somewhere else, live somewhere else.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll um, just jump on that and agree with that massively myself because I've, I've lived in Europe myself as well. And um, I will say a couple of things actually on that. So I lived in a, a country in, in Europe called Estonia for three years and yeah. I kind of felt similar to yourself. Like in that initial first year, did not miss home at all. I was pretty much like, maybe, uh, like there were days when I was like, maybe I'll never go back. I don't know right. maybe and it's a bit different for me i didn't really other than family i didn't really have much because the way you always got to look at it is when you move away from your home country it's like okay um this is big because you know everyone mm-hmm. whether they want to admit it or not they do have that initial tie to where you grow up you know unless yeah. like just everything was terrible and you just want to get as far away from there as possible which you know, is fair enough you know that happens has, yeah everyone yeah. has different circumstances you never know yeah. um For me, it was always just at least get out of my hometown. You know, when I moved to go to university, Mm -hmm. I at least went somewhere that was away from London, you know, different experiences, this, that, and the other. So when the opportunity came to go abroad, you know, I'd already been to this country as I'm sure you'd already visited Germany before you'd sort of decided to live there. For
1: two days. Oh, wow. (laughs) And my partner had never set foot on mainland Europe.
0: (laughs) Ha ha. Okay. Well, that's, no, that's fun. I mean, look, at least at the end of the day, you've got each other. So it's like, it's a journey, it's, it's an adventure, yeah. it's an adventure. It's absolutely
1: an adventure, yep, and that's what we call it, um, but there, as I'm sure you experience, there's days where there's immigrant fatigue, like, I'm not speaking the language, I'm, I'm learning mm. German, you know, I'm an anthropologist, so there's just no way for me to not integrate into a culture. But it's still not there yet. Uh, So there's definitely been days where I was trying to get my SIM card activated and um, I had selected the wrong thing and didn't know it because I don't speak the language and translators are imperfect and... Uh, somebody said, I'll oh, just go to the post office because the post office is part of the validation process. They'll do it in person instead. Okay, so I go to the post office and they are like, We can't help you. This code isn't working because mm-hmm. I had selected the wrong thing and didn't know it. And I've been trying for a week to get it to work and was so frustrated. I just stood outside the post office and cried. So, like, there's definitely moments where there's like immigrant burnout, basically. Yeah. Um, but the grand trajectory is a net positive in every single way. It's just been wonderful. We knew one person. I knew one person, my partner, knew nobody. um, but you know, being business people, I know how to network. And so I know how to throw myself, throw myself into the social fabric here. And I guess I have an advantage because I'm an anthropologist and business person. So I know how to dig in culturally and I know how to dig in network Wise, and so um, just started finding people, and I've already built so many amazing relationships here. So, like I said, it's possible you can do it without ever having been there,
0: yeah, not I, knowing
1: I, anybody. I think
0: it it depends on a lot of things as well. I just want to add a few points to this. Like, mm-hmm. I think it, it depends greatly on the type of person you are as well. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, you got to be totally. resourceful. You got to kind of obviously, you're always going to have the language barrier aspect of things. I mean, for me personally, most I, likely. I don't think I started feeling homesick until I'd say at least two years in give or take. And yeah, by that point, things were getting different. I won't go into specifics. It's not, not irrelevant, but certain things made me feel like, Hmm, maybe it would be better to go back and maybe I do miss Mm -hmm. it. And, you know, but I think the biggest Mm -hmm. thing is, being able to see family like if you're able to see family on a fairly regular basis like let's say once every three four months something like that for a Mm -hmm. week or two then I think it's generally okay you don't feel as isolated it's time goes quickly you know um and the the bigger point I wanted to get to is like life is life do you know what I mean like it doesn't kind of really matter where you are in the world like yeah you adjust to things certain things are very different sometimes that can be a bit of a, a cultural Shock, but ultimately, life is life. People are the same pretty much wherever you go, cultural differences yeah. aside. They're just trying to live their everyday lives. So, right. it's you know what I mean? Once you've kind of settled in, into your rhythm and stuff, it's like, how different really is it? You know,
1: yeah. Now that we're, um, we really have a home for ourselves here, you know, like I've got the plant babies, <laughs> I've got the books and the desk, and everything's really set up nicely. It's, it's there's some days that I, like forget that I'm in Germany, except for the windows open differently than in the United States and things like that, just like little things. Um, but you're right. I mean, people are people. Um, most of humanity is just trying to live their lives and um, we're all social creatures. And so connecting on some level, you know, everyone has different ways of connecting, but um, connections are out there and available to you. It can be trying as an adult there's you're not thrust together so the thing that um a lot of people don't realize like why is it so much easier to make friends or connect with people when we're younger it's not necessarily that we're better at it or more open actually i would say that we're like way worse at making friends when we're young because we're terrible at relationships we don't have the tools yet <laughs> um but we're thrust together forcibly into a location where you see people every single day mm. school Right. Yeah. There's only a few places that happens: school, prison, retirement communities. <laughs> yeah. We're thrown together with people you don't know and forced to mingle. And yeah. so, familiarity begets likeness. Right. As we as we become familiar with folks, we tend to grow trust with them. So I actually thought I would immigrate uh, as a student to do my master's because I would be thrust into a group of people who are all unified by the same goal, despite being strangers. And that would be how I socially integrated. That's not obviously what happened. Uh, I'm not doing my masters right now or anything like it. Um, but yeah, so there's definitely a bit of extra effort to go out and make a friend. You know, you have seen that person at the same cafe three times this week, say hello. <laughs>
0: It's difficult. No, I I get where you're coming from. I think that's one of the things I miss about university was just Mm -hmm. this ability to just... So, like, for instance, for us, there was this particular library, which was tiny, but it was right in the middle of the campus. And there was different places to study, but I felt like that was the main Mm -hmm. place to be. Even even on, like, a Saturday night where, like, you know, people were out and stuff, you'd still have people pop to there and speak and socialise, even though it's a library. I don't know, but it's, like, my point being that, you know, you conversations just happen you just meet people yeah. it just happens but like you said in, in everyday kind of adult life you really have to push yourself there and I feel like it depends where you are it's it's because I think to some extent you co- yeah, you come up to people in certain scenarios like um settings i should say like you know coffee shops or whatever some people would be mm-hmm. very nice and be like oh great yeah i to have a conversation other times people would be like who are you get the hell away from me so uh,
1: <laughs> i'm working here
0: well <laughs> oh, yeah oh yeah well that's a big thing that's changed i, I gotta yeah. say I, re- I remember um i i was i was with a couple of my flatmates recently and we, we just wanted to uh just get like a meal together but before we did that we wanted to have a coffee and in manchester mm-hmm. there's a lot of cool places to to check out you know hipster vibes whatever if that's the a thing um and yeah yeah you know what I mean like and people know yeah. exactly what I mean when I say that so I, but I don't know I'm aged at this point like so <laughs> <laughs> it's it looks would,
1: like the next thing <laughs>
0: well, yeah it's because like there, there is the, the these new trends now that to me just look like hipster or, or well actually but I mean that's a whole other conversation there but like, I, yeah I feel like it's it, at the moment it's 2000s um revival that's what I see from at least the teenage demographic it's like they're just they're dressing how we used to dress when we were like 10 years old so it's a bit weird yeah the but, know,
1: arts. yeah because
0: it's not good fashion it's not like the 80s which is eternal it's like no this this no these this these were terrible we had like these long sort of flared jeans that had like these yeah. horrible awful patterns on now, I remember when I was like 10 years old and I'd had I thought it was a good idea to go down the skate park with these long trousers with like total 90 nike astroturf shoes that like you'd use mm-hmm. for football uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then like about five different chains on the side of my leg that would
1: yeah just, everyone really had dangerous. a chain wallet
0: <laughs> anyway um just go back to the coffee shop thing so it's like that that's a cultural shift that's changed where you, you know you walk into these places and everyone's working everyone's got a laptop mm-hmm. it's rare that you just got two people sitting there having a chat like it does happen but
1: Here it seems like that's happening a lot, though. That's one thing that I love about Berlin. Um, there's you actually have to work to find coffee shops that have internet, first of all. So then people aren't necessarily working. So I see more people in coffee shops reading books, or as you said, having conversations with each other. And that seems like the norm here, at least in Berlin. Mm. Like I don't know about the rest of Germany per se, but you know, a lot of people tend to romanticize Paris and like the street side eating, right? That's happening here all the time. Like it is, it is the thing to go out and to meet with people and go to a restaurant and eat outside. It's cold out right now and people are eating outside. Um, Mm. I see people sitting in the Bahnhof stations, the, um, the train stations, like just having a beer together, just, They're not going anywhere. It's just literally a sheltered place to hang out with a friend. Um, People will sit on like benches right in front of businesses that have closed or even in the windows, like on the ledge of businesses that are closed just to sit and have a beer with each other. So like it's very congregational as as a community, it feels like. But that doesn't mean you have someone to congregate with. You have to still go find them.
0: One thing I want to ask about actually, because I've been to Berlin a very long time ago, I think it was like 2007. So I would have been a teenager at the uh, time. And the whole thing, because I've always been.
1: Here.
0: Yeah, like, I, you know, I've always been into art and history and culture. And like, I love all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was brilliant. Me and my mum were just having yeah. such a great time. Like, you know, it's was, it was good. But um, the vibe was still very different. You know, it was still very much developing. Um, mm-hmm. Say so like the East of Berlin was very much developing, whereas I yeah. understand it, it looks very different now. Um, but yes. one thing you touched on there is just this kind of culture of people sitting and drinking. And from what I understand, like obviously drinking is a big thing in most European countries, but obviously in, in mm-hmm. Germany you've got October first and stuff like that. Yeah. Do you ever see like binge drinking or people kind of? Because I kind of know what the answer is going to be, but I just want to ask anyway. Because here in the UK. It's a big thing, but I haven't seen it in any other place, to be honest, with the exception of a little bit in the States. I've not really seen binge drinking quite like how we have it in the UK, Mm. where you have an entire high street just full with really, really drunk, uncontrollable people.
1: Uh, Yeah, um, no, I... I really can't say I've, I've observed it. Um, like I said, I've been here for nine months. So what do I know? But I have my basis of uh, comparison, which is the United States. Um, and even at football games, honestly. So like Mm. when Germany was playing, you know, we had the, um, the Euro cup this year and the restaurants and bars would be packed. If you have a television at the bar, you're doing good because everybody's coming. Um, I think, so I, 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 I haven't studied German culture as an anthropologist. So this okay. is going to be a hot take as an anthropologist, but I think the history of Germany drives it away from fervor. Um, and so even like, it's, it's actually taboo here to fly the German flag like mm. a, unless it's a football game because you're seen as a nationalist which nationalism begets some big problems. So my guess is the, the like really big emotional outbursts or um, displays in public aren't the norm. And actually my friend's boyfriend who is German, so she's American, he's German. um, He finds it very hard to make any sort of emotional declaration, even in private. Um, And I've heard Hmm. that from a few different people. So This is just the evidence I've gathered over my time here. This is not an anthropological assessment. Um, It's absolutely a hot take, but I'm guessing that that's why I'm not seeing a lot of binge drinking because it's outburst behavior and that's not really um, culturally acceptable.
0: Just based on, you know, your expertise as an anthropologist, what would you surmise is the reason why Germans are a bit more... Reserved because I noticed the same thing when I was living in Estonia. Um, certain things that I wouldn't say they're acceptable. Okay, I will give a really good example. So, if if I'm walking to a restaurant or a pub or or a bar or something like that in England, uh, chances are it's going to be really loud. It's not like strange to hear people being loud and you know unruly and stuff. It's not great. No one likes that because it's obnoxious. But it it won't. It's not something that's going to like shock you or. or stop everything whereas when you see that when you're in Estonia um it would be like everyone looks and like the conversation just stops and it's very like you know read the room man mm. like it kind of yeah. just there's no do you know what I mean it it's a cuts, shunning it's like cu- it cuts through the calm and that's yeah. something I've noticed in quite a few different European countries and I just wondered based yeah. on your expertise like what where do you think that comes from that sort of mentality or that that cultural trait
1: i mean it could be just generally culturally you know like we've we've been around for a while there's no need to act like that um uh i i have an inkling i'm sure at least to some extent the war and the generational trauma that is here Mm. from the war plays a role into that um but for Berlin in particular, there's places for it, sort of, in the clubs um, and in the sure. raves, you know, so like, it's not like it doesn't, it's not like um, experiences that are heightened aren't available. It's just that they're channeled.
0: Yeah, I get where you're coming from and that. It's always just kind of struck me as odd, this, this kind of binge drinking culture that we have in the UK, because... Mm-hmm um it's something I really detest to be honest because you know I I mean I'm personally not like that and I don't want to sound all pompous like oh I'm above that but in a way I kind of am I just don't see the need or want to just get that unruly and you know that's them that's not me but what I have noticed is every time I go to anywhere in Europe the assumption is oh well you're British so this is the kind of behavior (laughs) and then when they learn that actually no I just want to like I love european culture like it's that 's what I gravitate towards and um, so it's like there's always that kind of an awkward moment, but it's like mm. i don't know like from the studies that i 've done in, into these kind of things because um, I, I learned quite a lot about it when i was when I was studying my degree, and it seems like it was an invented thing in that sort of the 1970s slash 1980s there was a lot of advertising at the time which almost without coming out and saying it basically just said to people go out drink drink like crazy and look yeah people, people have always drunk alcohol that's not a new thing but um, this kind of unruly nature that we have like people just hanging mm-hmm. out in the high street and getting trashed and ne- requiring the police to take care of the situations and stuff like you just don't tend to see that anywhere else maybe a little bit in america I can't really say.
1: Definitely sure. in colleges in America.
0: Sure. Yeah, but, but again, see, it's like you said before, it's contextual. Like, you, you know, if you're, yeah. if you're in a bar or, or a rave or something, then you totally expect that. But when you're in a high street, mm-hmm. it's something that you don't expect as much. Like, you know, but even I remember when, being in Hollywood in, in like 2014 and something that struck me as kind of strange was that it's like 11 p.m., Right and everything's just locked down. And I guess everyone's just finished their night and they're just getting food and stuff and kiosks. Mm. And I'm like, but this this is like, when you, you're you like getting ready, like to go out, like you don't go out until like, I don't know, 12, 1 well, a.m.
1: <laughs> yeah, and the United States closes down much earlier than most European cities, states, locations. So, um, there's a few exceptions. Mm. like New Orleans or Las Vegas, oh, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. generally the United States just closes by midnight or 2 a.m. Everybody's sleeping, go home.
0: <laughs> it's strange, yeah. I mean, yeah, Las Vegas is weird. I remember being there and just being, it's kind of crazy, like little things like, you know, the casinos don't have clocks or anything.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: you know, they apparently they pump air into the place to keep you awake, supposedly. Um. the
1: lighting is very very specific um the sounds the orientation the shape of the buildings you'll notice that they kind of wind and curve you're supposed to be disoriented you're not supposed to know what time it is you're supposed to stay and spend your money
0: well yeah and and that's why
1: they give you free drinks
0: yeah that's clever that's i mean it doesn't make a difference you're gonna spend money anyway but me and my friend were very clever we had like set budgets we're like this is the amount we're prepared to lose and no more (laughs) and and we did that but you have to
1: you have to i've been to las vegas six times blimey i've never gambled there
0: oh wow well done okay how come just not no interest or just
1: why what's the point
0: I don't know. I just feel like what else is there to do in Las Vegas? I mean, maybe I'm just being naive. Go see a show. Go
1: explore. Um, There's amazing museums there because there's incredible history there. You're in the desert. Go for a hike. Go see red rocks. Go to the spa. Go to the hot springs.
0: Yeah, I didn't know any of this. We we literally we went to a couple of casinos. We did swimming. I remember that. Oh, we went to Death Valley. Actually, that was very cool. Very cool road trip. Yeah. Anyone that likes road trips. Fantastic.
1: Yeah. Go see the Hoover Dam. Mm. It's beautiful. It's such a cool, like, it's a mind blowing piece of construction. You know, if you can extract yourself from the terrible things that the dam has done to the ecological system it's a beautiful incredible piece of construction and human engineering and it was completed um, in the early 1900s and so it's all art deco which is really neat so there's a lot to do in las vegas and the surrounding areas if you don't want to gamble
0: fair enough fair enough Uh, one thing i just wanted to quickly ask you before we move on um, yeah So obviously, yeah, I know that you've only been sort of in Germany for about nine months or so, so you're still adjusting and everything. But is there any sort of major differences culturally that you're sort of getting used to or you've observed or things that are just very extremely different that are hard to get used to or maybe just different ways of life or something like that?
1: I don't know if they're like hard to get used. There's definitely huge differences, but I feel like Berlin is a really good cultural fit so it almost it feels like more of a breath of fresh air than being thrust into something that i have to really like work to get used to Um, i'm trying to think Mm -hmm. um i think maybe you know people who aren't used to formal versions of language that's much more structured here so if you're in spain or in latin america um if you're not using the usted form you're you're kind of forgiven like it's not polite but like it's you you can get to the the two form the infam, unfamiliar faster i would say um and that's very so anyone who is your superior either because they're your professor they're your doctor they're um an official a government mm. official um you need to use the z form And you don't stop using the Z form until they have told you explicitly, oh, you can just use do with me. Um, And same with last name, first name. So you don't, everyone is like um, Herr or Frau, Mm -hmm. um, Schneider or whatever. Like there's no, you don't transition to using someone's first name until they've told you to. Now that's traditional German. In Berlin, it's way more casual (laughs) here. um but that still kind of exists exists in the professional regions so i think that's been something a hard adjustment but you know it's something to bear in mind i think also i'm like much more primed to accept cultural differences and to like jump in and adapt to them because that's my training. So like when I was in Samoa right after the tsunami and like you're not supposed to point your feet at an elder, you have to sit below your elders. Um, So like the chief of the community, like if your head's not below them, you're being rude. Mm -hmm. If you don't sit down with your food, um, you're being disrespectful to the lives that were given to nourish you. Um, And so I, I just... You do it i don't know you just do it um but for some people um who are used to thinking top of mind about their own cultural sensitivities mm. um it I, I suppose it would be hard to transition um, and adapt quickly
0: yeah it's an interesting point because i think a lot of the time I don't know, for myself i always just kind of adapt to whichever situation i'm in so it's like okay well if this is how it is here then just go with it but I, yeah like you right. said like some people have an issue with that They're like, well no this is this is how i operate like i can't do that like it's not acceptable but then well
1: and even not not necessarily in resistance but just forgetfulness
0: that's it. Yeah. like
1: people get so ingrained into their own cultures and then don't ever think about what's cultural Um, Mm. like there's a cultural clash that I had recently with somebody who was going to come visit and she intentionally chose not to, because we still wear masks in public places that are unregulated. So like grocery stores on the trains, we're still wearing masks. Um, that's why our numbers are so good here. And she didn't want to come just because she didn't want to wear a mask, but she's, she was repulsed by the idea. And to me, this is just normal. It's fine, but that's a cultural issue. Even just mask wearing is a cultural issue because we're so used to it. We've, we've just accepted it. And the United so States really weird. has not.
0: I know. We're <laughs> eating I... outside
1: in the cold. Like the restaurant sidewalk eating is all still open. And it's like, what's the high today? 12? Like it's cold. <laughs> uh, and, and again, I, I know a lot of people who say, well, I'm not going to visit Germany. It's cold. Why would I eat outside? I'm like We haven't packed it in yet. I don't know if you've packed it in yet. Have, have y'all gone inside yet?
0: Probably, yeah. If there's even like a bit of rain, we're all like, oh, ah, indoors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I get yeah people, that. I, I've seen people just sitting outside eating in the rain.
0: I think it's, yeah, it's chill. It's not, you know, as long as it's kind of it's semi-warm. Yeah, like kind of, because 12 degrees, that's fairly warm. It's the wind that changes. I don't
1: know what you're talking about, but sure. (laughs) to me like 28 30 that's where i'm at so if it's below 18 i'm not happy but again croatian blood
0: here's here's (laughs) the thing i get where you're coming from but when i lived in estonia it was legit like sometimes minus 20 in places so to me i'm just like 12 degrees that's summer
1: (laughs) yeah see i never uh... got used to it even um you know in the united states i lived in the icy north for a long time and I never got used to it. It's just not in my constitution.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, I I think it does have a, an impact based on just your own body's physiology, you know, or biology, I should say, like it's, you know, how you're geared to a certain place, but yeah. Anyway, moving it on. Obviously we've touched a lot on your, you know, your knowledge and expertise as an anthropologist. So please, what can you tell us about your work as an anthropologist and um, what would you say are your biggest discoveries so far?
1: Mm, Oh gosh. Um, so my work as an anthropologist is to study paradigm shifts. So, um, basically I operate by the philosophy that books outlive humans. Uh, and so the best way to preserve a paradigm shift, cultural shift, um, in the zeitgeist is to record it through story and print it. So behind me, there's three maroon books. Those are, that's, copies of my first book that came out in 2018. These smallest notebooks here are the three um, notes that I've been taking of um, my current study, which is to document Mm COVID-19. And the radical paradigm shift that we're living through right now. So I've been interviewing people since March, 2020 um, around the world, I think 50 countries at this point. So that's what my work is um radical discoveries that i've made my first um my first book was about the high tech revolution and it was from um an American perspective, but specifically through the eyes of the greatest generation. So people born before 1945, who grew up with crank cars and the first radio in the community, they remember when the houses were electrified and how terrified people were. And so that has this, this incredible foundation for understanding, like now I'm using an iPhone and I've lived through that whole shift. What is it like? What does it mean? How have things changed? Um, And I think, um, What gets lost in translation is how human we all are and how much we want the best for each other. And so even when I'm talking to, I mean, there were some curmudgeonly older people that I was interviewing, you know, the grumpiest of the grumps, but they prided themselves in being grumpy. And even still, when they're saying that they're concerned about young people coming up with technology and how are we managing it? they're talking from a place of caring for communities and caring for the young people and caring for what is being passed on. They're not demonizing, they're Mm. not criticizing, they're not saying young people are stupid. That never came up. It was always about how are they managing it because it's a tool, but it's a tool designed to steal your attention. So how are we managing it? Um, or at least a lot of the tools on the tool are designed to steal your attention. So what I'm discovering with um, stories of COVID, which is the name of the work I'm doing now, Um, the first book was called Stories of Elders. With stories of COVID, again, just really clear on the humanity that everyone shares, the work that everyone is doing Collectively or individually to just get through it and to adapt. Um, And what I've seen the most of is that people who do the best, even in the worst circumstances, are people who are making conscious choices. So either you can approach the situation as it's happening to you or you can approach it as it's happening and I'm going to choose how I react to it. The people who are making conscious choices are getting through it in at least a healthier way, um, mentally and through lifestyle, even those who have been in the worst off conditions because of the pandemic, um, you know, lost their jobs or some lost their homes. I mean, I've interviewed some people who have really, really had a hard time. Um, but when they're making conscious choices to, find the way through rather than just waking up every day and take a hit um, things seem to be going better
0: it really does seem like people who and I know this is a really obvious thing to say but bear with me like those who generally don't resist as much and just learn to kind of adapt to all situations they're generally the ones who've kind of hit the ground running through this COVID situation because it's kind of the sort of thing where it just hits you and it's like, well, how are you going to deal with it? Like you said, it's all about choice. Yeah. So it's like, well, do you just sit scared, worried, like you just don't know what to do. Like you keep trying to do the same thing and it's not working. Or do you just mm-hmm. change up, try different things, you know? Um, for instance, for me, unfortunately I've been unemployed this whole, this whole time because it was a bit mm-hmm. of a weird situation for me because I, Sort of came back to England in February 2020. Moved of up, good timing, right? Yeah, moved up to Manchester. It's weird thinking about that. It's weird. Uh
1: huh. It seems like eons ago, doesn't
0: it? It does. It feels like a lifetime ago at this point. But um, and we're still very much in it. That's the thing. I will say just on a side mm-hmm. note, like people think, oh, it's gone away. Like I walk down the high street and and no one's wearing masks and stuff and you know I've had my jabs now at this point and I mm-hmm. wouldn't say I feel safe necessarily but I kind of feel like well I've done everything that I can do um, you know for instance I wear it when when I need to like when I do my volunteer work like they're like hey mm-hmm. can you wear a mask and I'm like yeah like what's the issue you know um, yeah. but it's still kind of we're not out of the woods yet you know we're still the, you know like some of my doctor friends always tell me that you know the realistically we we've got a couple more years of this yet where you know potentially it'll get out of oh, the sort of sphere of, of public consciousness to a point where where you know it becomes just like a seasonal thing maybe like it will never go away yeah. i don't think it will always be there no be.
1: it's like the asteroid that hit the earth yeah yeah the impact is um is quieting down so the last few rocks are falling out of the sky you know impact hits and then spray and stuff the earth is starting to settle back down but the asteroid is still here the crater is still here like we've taken a hit this has changed things and there's no going back and i i urge anybody who thinks that there is a end to this to re-examine the evidence around them because Yeah, it's probably going to be like a seasonal flu. You need to get a jab. Um, That's the best case scenario, I think, at this point. Um, And maybe we were foolish to think it ever was any different, honestly.
0: Mm. I mean, we've been warned about this many, many Mm -hmm. times. Obviously, there was that famous Bill Gates TED Talk, which kind of warned us many, many, many years ago. And it's it's inevitable, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) I always find it funny... Well, it's not funny actually, it's really scary, but you know, like every single apocalypse kind of situation movie that you've seen in your life and it's always the beginning panic that you see and everyone's like, oh, that's ridiculous. I wouldn't act like that, but that's exactly how everyone acts. I mean, right now in the UK, we've got a fuel shortage and I don't know, I I think it's quieted down a little bit now, but for the past couple of weeks, it's just been people queuing up uh, to petrol stations and just filling loads and loads of um, gas canisters unnecessarily you know they don't need it and it's like
1: it wouldn't be a shortage
0: (laughs) yeah it's it's like people don't think like the the average person or the majority of people don't think in this logical way like here's us sitting here going that doesn't make sense that's not logical just think but it's like people don't they just like ah ah oh my god panic ah ah just get ah get as much as you can and it's like
1: right
0: "Ah," like and and it, it is concerning because you know if we had worse scenarios like okay the zombie apocalypse or something Mm -hmm. like that I mean these movies pretty much tell you exactly how that's going to play out (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. like it's not not even really fiction anymore it's like that's pretty much how it's going to go down people will just lose their minds and the only people that will survive will be those who can just rationally and logically think their way out of that scenario
1: yeah. But, um, I mean, fight, fight, flight, or freeze is very real for humans. This is yeah. our default mode, right? So whatever one you default to, I default to freeze. It's really annoying. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, that's, that's just the state that your body is going to go into. And when you're in that state, it is hard to think. Um, and so how do you get ahead of yourself? How do you prepare yourself so that, um, if something is happening, You can throttle yourself as needed until you are back in the clear. I heard an analogy um, not too long ago, maybe a week or two ago, um, saying we've had the real life example of how this was all going to go down, how a pandemic would all go down um, already for the past several decades with climate change. And we've seen how humanity has reacted to that as far as panic and action and doing what needs to be done. Um, And I was like, huh, so not even just in the movies, but real life scenario. This is an interesting analogy this person is drawing. And it really made me think a lot. So yeah, if it's possible to throttle, it's hard. It's so hard when you're freaked out you don't know what's happening. I have post-traumatic stress disorder from a past life in, in disaster relief work. Panic does not do well for my brain. Stress does not do well for my brain. Um, but if you know yourself well enough to be able to at least throttle yourself and say, <clears> pull up, more information is needed, more data, feed, feed the logical system, pull yourself out, separate yourself somehow from the emotional panic. Um, but it takes a lot.
0: Yeah, based on what you're saying like that is that changes everything that kind of as you put it that freeze paralysis situation um because while I did say you know you should logically think your way through this situation you should yeah if your body doesn't let you your body doesn't let you like I suffer really badly from anxiety and I can tell you that it's not bad enough that I need to be medicated, but it's bad enough that on those days when it happens, oh, I really struggle to get anything practical done, productive. Yeah. I almost lose a day and it's, it's debilitating. It takes away all your energy. It takes over your mind. It's just, ah. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, then asking someone in that sort of scenario to be up, like, well, think logically, you know, do this, do that. It's yeah. like,
1: there's an external threat to my livelihood to my family like whatever i need to go and hedge that bet by getting extra gas that's like you know that's the limit of the thinking and when it feels like it's very real and present and attacking your livelihood your family um you take action i actually wonder this is bringing up a really interesting question are the people who take action Fight mode people. Because flight people would hide, freeze people like me, I don't take action until I feel like I, you know, have a sense of what's going on. I wonder. I don't, I don't think know. anybody studied this.
0: I don't know. Well, maybe you should study it. I mean, who better? <laughs> 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 but um what I will say on that is I reckon. I don't know about that, but I think that it's short-termist versus long-termist behavior. Mm-hmm. That's a short-term yeah. response. That's in in their yeah. minds. It's like if I buy some gas, then uh, it will be okay for like a week or two. And it's like short term. Mm-hmm. It's not thinking. They don't think ahead.
1: Yeah, or at least yeah. not
0: long enough ahead. And like I've it's, worked. That's the thing. I've worked in so many businesses over the years where I've calmly try to explain to a manager or, or a head of department. If you do this, it's going to be an issue in six months from now, in a year from now. And they're like, oh no, 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 no. But you know, uh, we need to do this. And they're, like they're worried about like the budgets and and like, oh no, we're going to lose because we sales drop this month. And it's like, that's okay. These things happen. Look, look at the trend overall look at where we're heading right. look at you know look at these things and that's the problem it's short-termists versus long-termists and I think yeah. the greater majority of people are short-termists they kind of just look at things and they go oh I need to react now and sometimes the best reaction is no action sometimes depends on what it is yeah. but it's yeah
1: and that's where I start coming back to culture is it that we are culturally trained to be short-term thinkers or what I call nearsighted versus farsighted so like are we just not taught to think farsighted Um, and again that would be a fun study too
0: (laughs) I I think it's a really good area of study I mean certainly that's that's the reason I don't watch the news because I I realized at like the age of 10 years old that the whole thing is set up to propagate negative feelings it's supposed Mm -hmm. to make you terrified. Like I, I noticed a real simple pattern, uh, and I don't know if this is the same in every country, but what I noticed is in the UK, if you look at a typical news program, let's say news at 10, just for argument's sake, the way it's structured is you get like half an hour or 45 minutes of news, right? And it's all mm-hmm. negative and it shifts from thing to thing. So maybe it starts with... There were these terrorist attacks in this place, and this is the terrible thing that's happening in the economy. And if they don't have a specific thing that's happening that's negative, then they put a speculative story on something. They go, Oh, well, the government said this, so maybe that means that this is going to happen. You know, it's all negative. And then what they do is they shift to the local news, they follow the same pattern. And then right at the end, just as you're kind of like wondering whether you should just. (laughs) <laughs> well I won't End say it off. but you know yeah, just just like everything's terrible <laughs> okay. they give you like one insignificant happy story like oh and you know this person saved a bunch of kittens from a tree today so everything's okay right. in the world
1: so yeah it turns and that,
0: out. but that's seriously I, I, I challenge yeah. you I mean I don't know if the news has changed now but I noticed it like for I watched the news for like a week when I was a kid and I noticed that that was the pattern I was like this is awful this is why would you ever watch this this is so depressing and it's it's done on purpose as well
1: yeah because that's the thing like
0: they'll have you believe that there's nothing good ever happens that everything is terrible and that's not true Mm -hmm. there are no good things happening in the world as many as, as the bad things it's just that Right. You know, we, we always focus on the bad things or the media shifts that onto us, I think. It's right. An issue, but. I mean,
1: I work every single day with impact driven entrepreneurs, so I've steeped my life in what's, what's good that's happening and how do we, uh, accelerate it and, uh, and, uh, replicate it to make it even more impactful. Um, so there's tons of awesome stuff happening, but, um, yeah fear cells and fear controls
0: um so it's it's interesting that you mentioned that you're you're sort of working on a book on on covid i I kind of figured you would be given your background it's (laughs) like how how could you not you'd be looking at this go well this is an interesting area to study like this is even if you're not going to choose to study in it you'd at least be interested in it i knew that for a fact and (laughs) i'm going to change this question a little bit but um sort of over the past as you've been doing this study that you're working on this, this book that you're working on what would you say are some of the sort of the key takeaways from the pandemic as far as like how it's affected our behavior and and our mm-hmm. cultures like what, what would you say are the sort of the biggest things that have changed maybe f- forever you know
1: mm. um I definitely um I can say that the, the polarizing that was happening, um, at least in the United States, was amplified because of it, um, it was taken advantage of by right. so-called leaders. Um, but there's been a real shift towards um, the social economy, so um, supporting local, supporting good movements, um, supporting community endeavors and initiatives um there's been a huge shift towards technology but unfortunately it's actually created more disparities because um there's a lot of have-nots when it comes to technology um so my hope is that that's drawing attention to some of the issues that we have and uh, expanding them <sighs> Uh, I think a lot of people have also, well, we're actually quite seeing it in the United States, um, a little bit here in Europe, definitely in the UK that some people, some jobs, some, um, you know, levels of industry were not supported and given the the, giving even sort of value, let alone equal pay or, um, a living wage. And people have left those jobs at the start because there was a stipend, so they could, and went and found something else that is safer because now I can work from home because technology has become even more the norm in work. Um, And so now we have issues with hiring because nobody wants to go back to a job where you're not valued, where you don't get healthcare, where um, where you make Below what is a mm. living wage it's like I'm not talking minimum wage I'm not, like talking living wage um, and so I think we're kind of seeing yet another wave to the pandemic, but not because of the like not a viral wave but a social wave of there's yet another domino that is falling right now um, and the empty shelves and the supply chain issues are the harbinger of that.
0: So you sort of touched on on a few things there that might happen or are happening now, but do you have any kind of predictions based on what's happening now for what might change in the future based on what's happening now, uh, specifically regarding like attitudes, behaviors, culture in general?
1: You know, what's funny, um, See, I have I have two perspectives. I have the perspective like of the um, uh, U.S. European Western perspectives, and then there's the global perspective. I think really everything is about to come to a head it, socially. Yeah, the the polarizing and the and the um, infighting within certain countries needs a hard stop. And sometimes, yeah, there's no way to stop it until some. there's something big that happens. Um, but there's other things happening for other countries that are also evolving the narrative and evolving ways of life um, because of the pandemic. And my, my opinion is that um, world governments have their work seriously cut out for them because of the social shifts that have happened. Usually these types of shifts, paradigm shifts, these, these tend to happen over decades. And we just accelerated the changes that were happening, uh, in all ways very fast. And, uh, so if I were in government right now, um, I would feel like I was running a marathon, um, trying to keep up, just trying to keep up with everything that was shifting from housing to work, uh, requirements and safety. And, um, you know, like, what do you, what do you need for work safety from working from home? Like, what are those regulations look like? Um, and what do we do about supply chain? Um, what do we do about industries that don't want to come back? Because it's not an, an industry is humans again, an economy is humans so we talk about these things like stimulate the economy. What you're asking us to do is to make a cultural shift. Um, there's just a lot that has come to a head because of all of this. And if I were a government official, I would be, I would feel like, Oh, I've got, a, I've got some kind of work ahead of me.
0: I speak about other countries, but I have to say that this government that we have in right now puzzles me with regards to that because they i've heard them say that before oh we're doing our best to uh, you know to stimulate the economy we're we're doing this because you know covid has affected us in a bad way and you know it's meant and look they're not lying in the sense that you know covid did hit us badly we we made the decision just like america to shut down everything and that hit us in a big way um Mm -hmm. so it's understandable that they're going to make certain changes and stuff but they've opted to you know, raise taxes and cut benefits at a time when it's like maybe that's not the best time to do that you know, right away when we're still in the figure i get don't get me wrong that you have to do something in order to kind of get to where you need to go okay if the goal is i need to stimulate the economy get us in a position a better position then it's going to mean there's certain things you have to do certain sacrifices you have to make but like that to me, if, if, if your goal is to you know, stimulate, what does that mean? Stimulate the economy means people buying and selling more, essentially. You're like a, got... for
1: a behavioral change.
0: Yes. Yeah, like and you, I want to are...
1: also put in at that point what economy? <laughs> what economy is the government trying to stimulate? But, but because the... there are many, many economies that, huma- that humans participate in. Many
0: sure yeah but the
1: government has a very particular interest in one or two of those economies and Mm -hmm. so the government panics while while humanity is making a shift because it's not uh controlled and regulated changes
0: the thing that i don't get is if you want people to buy and sell more Then, how are they going to do that if you're taking away their money? (laughs) It's like, well, I have less. So, if I have less and costs are going up because inflation's going up, so it's like things are more expensive. I have less money. Well, I'm less likely to spend, which means the economy suffers even more. So, it's like, it's so illogical. Like, I get
1: it's interesting from the government standpoint, though, because if you, you know, in the United States at least, they printed money basically in order to stimulate the right economy and basically like save people <laughs> um whether or not it was enough so okay um yeah. but then how do you how do you balance that you know so like again like financial business plan i don't think the government works on a very good business plan but okay so if you have a business plan and you need to balance your profits and loss and you've just spent a lot your hope hoping to recoup that in some way so raising taxes would actually be the logical step for balancing i'm not saying this is good for people and the government is meant to serve the people but it is an interesting i'm just going all the way around the block you know like why take one angle
0: (laughs) yeah no no i agree no don't get me wrong i'm not not saying because i've always said that at least in, in in the uk the conservative government always runs the country Mm -hmm. like a business for better or worse and there are positives to Mm -hmm. it but ultimately it's about timing of things i don't think right Mm -hmm. now is the right time to be because here's the thing with the tax rates as well is that they don't tax the people in the society that have the most money they tax like your average worker so like people who are running Mm -hmm let's say 25 yeah it basically like establishes because we still have a class system here as far as like wage earners mm-hmm. and stuff like that it's still it still exists and it means that the yeah. gap between the elite and the poorest is even it's widened huge. even further yeah, yeah so like this middle yeah. class that we have is disappearing more and more and more and more because the government yeah. is doing that they're actually their their moves kind of force people to make changes like for example let's say you're it's a very rudimentary example, but let's say you're living in a house and you've got two kids and cars and stuff, you know, um, it'll be things like, Hmm, well, I guess we have to sell our cars. Uh, I guess we have to remortgage the house. Hmm, oh, I guess we're going to have to Wait. tighten our belts and have less, you know, yeah, I did it when I was growing up. Um, me and my, my mother were very poor. It was just us. And, you know, sometimes it would be that you know, my mom would come in and be like, well this month we're going to need to do this and this so we can't have this 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 and I was like yeah okay fine like that's if that's what we gotta do to survive that's what we gotta do but it's much harder when you're making that decision for like a bunch of people because I was just a kid you know I was easy to please it was just my mom we got by it was fine but when you got a whole group of people to consider it's so much harder it's not
1: just numbers and I think that's you know, like, so, so it's easy to say, I'll just run the government like a business, but the business is that the numbers are human beings who have very diverse wants and needs. And um, yeah, I think just like you're saying, like, you can't just pull the rug out. But yeah, we have quite tangented, haven't we?
0: Yes, I apologize. Um, It's just very easy to talk to you about this and yeah, this is a topic that I'm fascinated by as well. Um, I do have one question before we get on to sort of your business endeavors. I do have a, a fan question because there's listeners of the show, so thank you for this question that's sent in. Um, this is kind of a generic kind of question about anthropology, but um, what would you say are the most common things you observe in everyday life that have a direct link to evolution?
1: Wow. Um, I mean, social interaction. Sure. Already, we, we're talking about making friends. We're talking about building relationships and that innate drive. We know that humans die um, emotionally, spiritually, physically without human connection. We know this from some pretty radical experiments that have been done with babies and children way back in the day. Um, We know that from other atrocities. We know that from watching statistics and the isolation that happened during the pandemic and the suicide rate. Mm. Right. So, so it, the very fabric of our society is based on our evolutionary need for human connection. Um, we partner because not because so very interesting to, um, talk about, uh, domestic, um, set and management, because we like to argue that certain, ways are evolutionary, um, which is not entirely true. It's actually cultural. Um, but we still, there is still an innate drive to generally, um, cohabitate or partner or have, have one or two or three people who are your people, right. To create family, to create closeness, um, and again, that's, that's back to our, our very critical need for society. And society means survival. One human out alone by themselves without some very specialized tools and I don't know. I don't even know that knowledge, that, that specialized knowledge matters. I think you need some very specialized tools for one human to survive on their own. Um, we survive yeah. in numbers. We have always survived in numbers.
0: Yeah, I always wonder about those those human beings that you hear about. That uh, There's this one guy I, I read about years ago who lives in the wilderness, a really old gentleman, and he has like a link in so much as like he'll venture back into town once every month or two for some supplies that he needs. But ultimately, he spends mm-hmm. all of his time alone. And I just wonder, like, as you say, like this need for humor interaction like if throughout the pandemic i've spent all more time alone save for the volunteering i do or seek, speaking to mm-hmm. housemates but there's days weeks where i've not spoken to anyone apart from online and i wonder if, if, I, if we didn't have the internet yeah. that's the big one if we didn't have the internet yeah
1: lots of this, conversation around
0: that yeah it's like what if um i mean okay you, you could call i was gonna say like the 90s but you could call people but let's say this happened in like I don't know, 70s. perhaps
1: 1918.
0: Wow. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah. But
1: what um what you're referring to with the man who's a hermit, he's still tied into society. He's still to supported extent, by society yeah. because he's going in for supplies. He's not surviving in an isolated manner, not completely. Um, and if he is, it's taking a whole lot of specialized technology to to create the subsistence to create um yeah the possibilities for that to happen um those supplies came from somewhere so th- again he's not isolated from society not completely
0: just really really introverted
1: <laughs> <laughs> he may be and, and i hope he's happy i yeah, hope he's happy so- because that's that's the ultimate thing and that's where there's the um Conflict, I think is when we try, we tend to think that everybody is like us and nobody's like you, Mm -hmm. nobody's like you, nobody's like me. And that's beautiful and fun and exciting. But then that also means it's really important to remember that. So when somebody says I need space because I'm overwhelmed or I haven't been around human contact in seven months and I'm freaking out, man, like let them be and respect that and allow that because what they need doesn't affect your your standing as a valid human
0: interesting little preachy moment (laughs) no no i agree no please please i totally agree I, i sit in the middle i'm like a i mean more recently i've kind of referred to myself as an introvert but I'm somewhere in the middle, omnivore, ambiver, whatever you call it, where I can, yeah, I can be if I need to, you know, if I meet someone in public, I can be that guy, I can be Mm extrovert, whatever, I can do all that stuff. But it's mostly like, and we'll get onto business in a sec, but like, you know, the need to kind of like, um, socialize, network, all of that stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I learned that from a young age, I actually realized when I was a sort of a teenager, I was like, life needs you to do this it's not whether or not you want to you need to even if you are the quietest person ever right you can still be that quiet person and enjoy your space and everything but life requires you to occasionally switch on and just talk and that's a really hard thing to do because and I I didn't realize this until much later in life but it's it's a skill learning to to talk to people, to socialize. You think like, oh, it's easy. Mm-hmm. You just talk, but it's not. And it's like, mm. to be honest, I think I've become a better social person through, I was going to say socialist for a second. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> Socializer.
1: <clears throat>
0: Socializer, yes. Um, through podcasting, funnily mm. enough. You know, I, I started doing this about a year ago and I've spoken to many, many people on the show and um, I do live streaming every day as well. And obviously I'm speaking to people every single day, different types of people, Um, you know, shy people, loud people, um, people Mm -hmm. somewhere in the middle, you know, all sorts of people. And it's constantly adapting to people. That's what I've learned. And I think another thing is establishing whether or not people want to listen to you. That's a big thing because I feel like there's a lot of people out there right now who may even be listening to this right now who feel unheard who feel like you know no one ever listens to them um it's not because you're boring or because you're not interesting it's because a lot of people are not listening um they're just wanting to get their thing out you know
1: right
0: wanting to get themselves kind of like let me put it this way my favorite conversations ever is like when it's you know you just sit and you listen and you absorb like i prefer to listen as opposed to talk to be honest like mm-hmm. that's that's my vibe i like that um but if i'm talking like if you ask me a question like this infuriates me just sorry on the side though but you know like when you <laughs> ask someone a question or you say oh tell me about this or, or whatever right and then you start talking and sharing that story and then they just either interrupt you or want to change the subject or are just not interested on their phone or something oh that and
1: why what, did you ask
0: <laughs> well because it annoys me but it also breaks my heart because now i just don't want yeah. to ever talk again ever like you know so
1: there's there's a fantastic um so soci- soci- sociologist. I think, um, it, I, I think he's a sociologist. He might be a psychologist called John Gottman and he studies relationships. Um, and uh, he talks about bidding. So we make a bid, like I ask you a question and then uh, I go start dabbling on my phone while you're trying to answer. What happens is uh, they turned away from you. They turned away from your response. Um, and your bid to communicate. And when you are turned away from and turned down after a few times of bidding, um, it is human nature from what he has observed in Western culture to give up. So um, that feeling that you're experiencing that you just want to stop after once or twice of that happening is in line with the observations of somebody who's been studying relationships for decades. yay you're normal uh,
0: it's it's, it's one of those painful things I've realized I mean I remember I always this always makes me chuckle when I was growing up I was really extroverted and you know out there and you know I was shy but you know I just put myself out there you know I was I think from the age of 11 onwards I was always kind of Intro, uh, sorry, extroverted kid. You know, always go into a situation. Go like new school, don't know anybody. um You know that that was like high school for me. I didn't know anyone. Everyone else had their little mm-hmm. groups because they'd been to primary school together. I knew nobody, but it was fine. You know, I always did well. And I remember having a conversation with my mum when I was like fourteen or something. And she she's very much a just you know bookworm, very quiet. You know, like that's her mm-hmm. thing. She likes that, and. I, you know, we sort of mock each other and stuff, and I'd just be like, "Well, ah, oh, it's so boring. You never go and do anything. Like, how can you just sit there and like this?" And she literally turned around to me. She's like, "One day, <laughs> you will be exactly like me. Yeah. <laughs> you will enjoy your space. You'll want to be on your own, and you won't want to go out or do anything or any of this stuff." And I was like, "That'll never happen." And here I am, 28 years old, and some days you know, I genuinely get office to go out or, or, you know, there's something yeah. planned and you get that anxiety. You're like,
1: oh, just stay in.
0: I'll stay at home. Yeah. It's better.
1: <laughs> yeah. You got to recharge the batteries.
0: Yeah. It's funny. Like e- even something like this, like a podcast, you know, you're talking for an hour, two hours, whatever. It's like afterwards you feel drained. I mean, I, I suppose it does depend mm-hmm. on, on who you're talking to and stuff, you know, but I feel like so, the worst time for me in a conversation is when you're talking to someone who is either debating you or
1: Mm.
0: but but like like kind of unsolicited style so like like you did on your toes yeah like you didn't ask for this you're just no Mm -hmm. they're just they're just at you with something and they just won't let it go and you're like please stop I'm not interested please you know just you know because that is very intrusive like that. That's almost as bad as when people expect you to talk in any situation Oh, you can't be antisocial. You can't be this, you can't be that. And it's like this expectation placed upon you. Like you just have to sit and listen because if you don't, oh, you're rude. And it's like (laughs) a bit of advice for everyone out there listening. It's not rude to just be like, I'm sorry, I'm not interested. Like, yeah, yeah, we we don't get a, a lot of time on this planet you know you want to spend it the way you want to spend it if people are just like announcing themselves talking at you when you didn't ask for it and you didn't consent to that you can just take yourself out of that situation that's fair
1: that was the word that was coming up for me was consent yeah you didn't consent to have the debate or the conversation um and oftentimes as you're saying like people are just looking for someone to vent on to attack to to push out their energy for whatever reason and you're not the thing that they're upset about um you're not the person that is creating their anger but you're the one receiving it that's not fair
0: well sometimes people are trying to to push like a belief on you and it's like i remember years ago i was seeing a friend and i hadn't seen him in years and he brought another friend with him and this friend. Was like really, really religious, and look, I've got nothing against religion. I'm personally not religious, but I respect it. You know, but I do think it's a very personal thing. You know, I don't think you should Mm -hmm. push that unnecessarily upon other people. It's like that's your thing. I respect that. I have my thing. You know, we we you know, because I've got many friends who are religious, and no problem. (laughs) So I know for a Mm -hmm. fact that it's it's about you know respecting people's lives and stuff. Anyway, Mm -hmm. um, I'm just trying to see my friend and talk to him. But every five minutes, it's this guy just going, "Oh, but in you know, in 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 the book, it says this and it says that, and how could you possibly refute this?" And I was like, I remember just mm. debating this guy for like an hour, and then just it just got to the point where I just said, like, "I don't care, I don't care." I was like, "Say whatever you want, I just don't believe it. You've got no proof. Like, just just leave me alone." And I remember getting out of this car and going home and seeing my then girlfriend and talking to her about it, and she said you invited this in you allowed it to happen like this didn't mean it in a mean way but like in the sense that like I chose to engage in that and allow Mm. him to do that when I shouldn't have I should have just been like disagree not interested Mm. and just and just kept repeating until he stopped Mm. but Mm. that doing that is is difficult too being able to have the strength to just keep saying no is really hard like that's
1: yeah we're not really given those tools no boundaries are for some reason not not really
0: taught we're getting there slowly sort of
1: yeah i think that we're we're in a again transition period because technology allows us to have conversations (sighs) where we might not otherwise be exposed to the information I think my childhood and younger years would have been a lot better had I had the access that I have today. Um, but yeah, it's as you said, it's changing things.
0: Well, speaking of changing things, let's change up the conversation and uh, (laughs) talk about your work as an entrepreneur. So you teach small business leaders how to scale their work and improve their business processes. Tell us how you got started in this area and what would you say your biggest sort of successes with this particular business?
1: Um, so I got started as an entrepreneur uh, sort of by force, I guess. Okay. Um, I was working for a uh, marketing firm that did SEO and content development and saw the writing on the wall. We'd been bought up by somebody who didn't really know what they were doing. Um, oh no. <laughs> I was I was the director and had been paid um, only thirty two thousand per year for two years of being director and having grown the client list ten times and grown the department. Just it was just not a good situation. But I was young and I didn't know better. You know, it was like the devil, you know. Um, lessons learned, never going back to corporate. So (laughs) I knew it was coming and, um, I knew I had skills from that job. So I started exercising those skills to build websites, um, because I'd been in so many websites in order to manage my clients, um, manage their clients, I guess. And so, um, started doing that for a couple months and just, started bartering. Basically. I was like, okay, first thing I need is a portfolio. I don't have a portfolio and I'm not going to ask somebody to pay me when I don't have a portfolio. So I'm going to build a portfolio. So I made a few just like dummy sites and then bartered a little bit. I actually got some like really amazing things from people who, you know, gave me, um, the works of their own creation in exchange for a website. Um, and so I got Hmm. laid off in December of 2012. So did my dad and brother. It was a great Christmas. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) we all lost our jobs. My mom was the only breadwinner. Uh, And so um, it was just kind of like, okay, this is it. I, I can't say no. I don't want to start applying for other jobs. I don't want this anymore. This was awful. I don't like somebody who I don't respect owning my, my livelihood. Right. And yeah. such an abysmal livelihood. It was even, and I was, I, I was just like, this is not a good situation. So that was the start of my tech company. And they ran that for five and a half years before I sold it, uh, in 2018, right before I published my first book. So kind of clearing the plate and getting ready. Um, and I scaled that company. So what what I discovered, and why I'm so passionate about small business uh, scaling, is that um, small businesses just aren't given the tools. They like there's 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 some kind of community initiatives in every city that helps small businesses get started, but there's nothing about scaling. Mm-hmm. Contrast that to startups who have incubators and accelerators and angels and venture capitalists and just just. Piles and piles and piles of support, and from day one, it's all about scaling. And so, what happened was, I was burnt out. I was working my bum off because everyone says you got to do the hustle. You just got to work it, work it off.
0: I just want to interject. So, you worked seventy hours a week. Is that right? Jeez, was I
1: was not okay. I was not okay.
0: Did you, was it like you sort of realized, cause I've been there, I've worked 70 hour weeks as well. And it's, it's ah, you realize like, afterwards.
1: <laughs> there's there. So the, the concept and the rhetoric in the business community is you have to hustle. And that's true for a sprint. A hustle is a sprint. Yeah. A hustle isn't a three-year marathon. You can't do that to yourself. Nobody wants that. Your parents don't want that. Your friends don't want that. Your clients don't want that. You don't want that. I'd become an entrepreneur to become more free. But what I'd done, because I didn't know how to scale, was create another job for myself where I was making not enough money again and doing enormous amounts of work. I had shaped my life into the shape that my former employer had given me. Because that's what I'd known. Okay. So it was that moment where I I had to decide, do I give it all up? Or do I, you know, hell or high water, figure out what to do? Because I know that there are companies that are out there that are successful without this level of pain.
0: So what was the thing that kind of decided that then? Like, what was the light bulb moment where you sort of made the switch and tried to do things
1: differently. I, I, I couldn't go back to corporate life. Like I just, it wasn't in me. I would make an awful employee. <laughs> Having tasted the freedom of entrepreneurship, even though it wasn't very sweet at that point, I could not go back. So mm. um, I had a, a sort of a mentor at the time. And I met with him and I, I just got honest and was like, this isn't working. I'm miserable. I don't know what to do. Um, and explained the situation and he introduced the concept of scaling to me. Mm-hmm. And it was like, just like no one had said that to me. I don't know. So once you know, a word, you know, a concept, you can look for it. You can search for the toolkit in order to do it. And that's what got me to, as you know, 10 hours. A week when i sold the company
0: so this current project is called uh the empire builders academy is that correct
1: uh yeah so empire builder coaching i'm currently a coach and consultant to what i call empire builders so people who have massive visions for the world are impact driven have multiple offerings um so it might be that they have a product. They also have a book. They also have a podcast. They have all these things that they're trying to put out there. Um, And I use the principles of scaling to help them do it so that they don't burn themselves out on their life's mission, but also can have all of the things. Cause you can have all the things.
0: Mm.
1: You just can't have them all at once. You'll burn yourself out. So you have to build one thing and then you can move on to the next thing
0: yeah of course yeah you gotta go project by project
1: of course but a lot of people
0: (laughs) i'm guilty of that. i'm guilty i'm a a workaholic as well and it's like it's hard hard to just take a break because you feel guilty you're like oh i shouldn't be doing this but it's like the old saying you know you need to choose a day off to rest or your body will choose it for you (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yep um one interesting thing i found during my research is that you use discord the app as yeah. part of uh, the service that you offer now this is kind of unique because generally discord is for those who don't know discord is a uh, an app that's typically used or originally was just used as like a gamer chat for people playing on Xbox PlayStation mm. whatever and then it's kind of evolved over the years so you know, I have a discord as well for example um, where you can just have like mini communities you know you can um, talk to people you um, watch movies together play movies together all sorts of stuff it's kind of like Mm. a a safe space for you and you can have it private uh, or public and there's a lot of companies out there as well that have them as well it's quite surprising the amount of brands that have these discords and the purposes they're used for but i've never really seen like businesses use them so i wanted to ask you a bit more about that like how how you use it and and what exactly are the benefits of using discord for business
1: so oh, um, I was doing what a lot of business owners do in my field, and that was just have a Facebook group, and it felt oh, okay. incredibly limiting. And I was feeding the Facebook monster.
0: Uh, and me, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: if I'm a leader for impact-driven entrepreneurs, Facebook is the antithesis of those values, in my opinion. And so why am I inviting my community to be here? Mm. And so I just, I, I, I was uncomfortable for a long time. It was about a year and a half of thinking when I was like, I think I need to leave Facebook. I don't want this, um, as a, as the nexus for my work, I'm still on Facebook because I am abroad It is a way to stay in touch with people, but I rarely post. Um, and I liked discord because it was created with community in mind. It was created for connection and for ease of communication. And, um, it's not a monster, at least not yet. Uh, it was, I mean, the gamer community, the people who use discord and for who it was built are not the evil corporations. Um, yeah. And that phrase, evil corporation has, it bothers me a little bit because I own a corporation. I'm just, by being a business owner, you either own a limited liability corporation, you own a C corporation, you own a benefit corporation, and you own a nonprofit corporation, it's a corporation. So there's like this awful bleed over of like what a business can and cannot be in order to be not evil. And, um, it's about what anyway, you're that doing, rhetoric bro. bothers me and blurs the lines a little bit, but
0: it's discord mis- well, is not that. Mm.
1: So yeah, I, I love it. We actually have um, a workshop happening in discord, um, in the empire builders lounge today about automating your business so you can make money while you sleep. Excellent. And, Very uh, sweet. the AV, as you know, like the AV in discord is fantastic. So I don't have to use zoom either. <laughs> Yeah.
0: Um one thing i found interesting on your website actually is you describe yourself as a queer author and entrepreneur so i just wanted to talk to you a little bit about your role and influence in the lgbtq plus community and how that sort of impacts on your business does it change anything in any way as far as like how you do things or anything like that i like to us a little bit about that
1: mm. Uh, So I do LGBTQ inclusion for entrepreneurs, just kind of as a side hustle. Uh, So I don't promote it heavily, um, but it's important and it's needed. You know, it's it's in this day and age, if you're going to be an entrepreneur and you're going to be an influential person in other people's lives, which is what you are as an entrepreneur, whether or not you realize it, that's the truth, acceptance, acceptance you know, has to be at the forefront of that. And a lot of entrepreneurs don't realize that while they may be an ally, they, we, we, we live almost on quicksand. So the world is changing. Our cultural um, ability, uh, understanding, and language is changing. We've always been here. Queer people have always been around. I mean, you go back to ancient mm-hmm. civilizations, I mean, right? but it's, it's coming into consciousness culturally. And that means that language is changing and understanding is changing. And so when um, you're working with a colleague and they're using the, them pronouns, or like, for example, here on my, on my zoom, I'm using she, her pronouns um, and you don't understand why pronouns are even important. You're at a disadvantage as a business owner and as a leader, if you're going to be making connections and engendering trust in others in order to buy from you and you don't know how to communicate effectively or be as good of an ally or be part of the community in the way that, you know, builds people up, Right. You're at a, you're at a disadvantage, let alone then, you know, will people buy from you and things like that. So, you know, there's kind of like a two prong reason, like just, I find that people are afraid to ask the questions and Mm. I don't mind answering them. I don't know all the answers, but I don't mind answering what I know. And so, um, I've had a lot of fun doing LGBTQ inclusion with entrepreneurs and just helping them see down the path a little bit.
0: Awesome. Um, What advice could you give to aspiring entrepreneurs?
1: Just do it.
0: (laughs) Hey, that's copyright infringement. You can't use that. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So if you have the idea, um, and if you want to go deeper into this, I have a keynote on my homepage that you can watch. But if you have the idea, you already have the tools, you already have what it takes in order to make it happen. You may not think so but you've already got it and it's not going to rest. This thing's going to eat at you until you take action because that's just the way human psyche works. So you've, you've got the gumption, you've got the gift. Um, if you didn't have what it took, you wouldn't even be capable of having the idea. It's your knowledge and your skills and your history that made this point connect with this point and perhaps all these points too. Um, and you're in the middle of it. So go start and if you, you know, you're missing the business toolkit, I'll help you with that. Uh, if you need connections or publicity, Christian will help you with that. There are people out there who will give you what you need. We're all here rooting for you, um, but you can't find us unless you start.
0: Brilliant. What's the biggest life lesson that you've learned so far?
1: My biggest life lesson that I've learned so far. Hmm. Oh, geez. <laughs> I love this question. This is a great question. And there's a lot of lessons I've learned. So many of them. Um, I think... I think that, um, I I'm still learning this actually, but everything's smaller than it seems moving across the Atlantic ocean was actually a lot smaller and a lot easier than I ever dreamed it would be. And it took me two decades to figure that out. Starting a business was, it felt huge. It, it, these concepts, at least to me, um, when I'm in my head and I'm trying to predict the future, even though I don't have that ability. And so then that's the anxiety wheel turning, right? Um, How egotistical of me to think that I know what's going to happen and it's all going to be bad. Um, So it all feels like this. When your hand is in front of your face and it's so close, hand is huge, it's all I can see. But turns out the hand is actually rather, small and well, especially on my hand. Uh, so when you're actually in it and taking the steps, all it is, is one step in front of the other. But for, for me, I have a tendency to try to yeah eat the whole pie instead of just one slice at a time. And things start to feel really overwhelming. And sometimes then I go into freeze mode paralysis and don't take action. Um, and so I think that, you know, the message for others is is the same, that whatever it feels like is super huge. You're going to live for 70 to 100 years. How big can it be? Just take action. Do it. It's going to be okay. And there's tons of people. Remember, we're societal-oriented being. Tons of people who are willing and excited to help you along the way
0: and thanks for sharing as we draw things to a close for today do you have any upcoming projects or some final thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with
1: mm. so if you're an entrepreneur and you are wondering what at what if you're just like on the hand studio <laughs> and you don't yeah i've been there um I created a guide to demystify the three pillars of business scaling that I created when I was scaling my last company. And this is what I use with my clients to great success today. Nobody's giving you the tools as a small business owner. So this is from a small business perspective. Um, It's a free guide on my website. Just go to my homepage and download it. Um, And it'll start giving you a sense of orientation for what to do next, because that's again, action paralysis, right? So we want to get people out of paralysis and into action that's the only way that life moves forward um but the big project that i have coming up is uh i've launched a retreat series in croatia in split which is uh where emperor diocletian of rome Retired and built his palace. And so we're going to an emperor's palace to learn to build our empires and scale Dang. up. And so if that sounds like fun, which it is, and it will be, and you want to transform your business because you're sick of being on the hamster wheel, and 2022 is not going to be the way that the rest of the past years have been, then yeah, come on over to my website. It's all there just come into the Empire Builders Lounge. Just come over to Discord. Just come on. There's people. On. We've all got you. We're just all ready to support <laughs> you. It's a great place. I've got you in whatever form you need. Um, but yeah, so that's what's going on and maybe hopefully a book next year, but we'll see, you know. Brilliant.
0: Well, I just want to say a massive thank you for, for being on the show. It's It's been brilliant. And um, yeah, I wish you the best of luck in your endeavors.
1: Thank you. Yeah, we went we went like all over. It was, it was a very fun time. So thanks for having me and thanks for doing what you do.
0: Thank you so much. And to the listeners of the Christian read podcast, be safe, be well, and I'll see you in the next one.